Okay, today we are going to be uh, in Proverbs 29 and also in Matthew chapter 18, and we might be in some other places as well too. Um, but you know, I forgot something, and if I could, uh, during my prayer, I'll, I'll remember this, but uh, in the opening prayer for the message, I would also like to pray for those who are still mourning and grieving the loss of loved ones uh, who died September 11th, 2001. Uh, this is a very special uh, day. This is a very important day for our nation and really for the world um, because there was a terrorist attack 20 years ago. I'm sure many of you can remember where you were at or what you were doing, just like when J- JFK was shot. I wasn't around then, but I've always heard many people say, I, I can always remember where I was at. Was Same thing with 9-11, you know. <clears throat> I know I remember what, what I was doing then, too. And so for our open, opening prayer today, uh, I'd like to pray for the message and a special prayer for those uh, uh, who are affected by this tragedy. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you very much for this uh, day, and we want to pray, God in heaven, asking as the message is given today, that you would guide with your Holy Spirit, inspire each and every one of us today by the word, uh, by the lifting up of Jesus. And I want to pray today also, God, as we remember uh, those who have fallen, as we remember, God, those who have suffered as a result of this terrible act of evil 20 years today in, in, uh, in New York, I want to pray for the families who are still grieving, those who are still traumatized and in shock. And I pray for our nation today, God. Help us to humbly seek your face, God, I pray, as we live in these last days. Thank you that we live in this wonderful country where we have uh, so many freedoms and the influence uh, of generations past who have uh, honored and lifted up your word uh, in this country. I want to pray today, God, for our leaders. Uh, I pray today, God, for our government leaders, our local leaders. I want to pray today for our church leaders. Um, And and I ask and pray, God, your blessing upon each one. God, we pray all these things. Again, we ask for your guidance in the message today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Today I would like to begin. our, Our message is going to be from Proverbs 29 and verse 18. And it reads, where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but happy is he who keeps the law. On September uh, 11th, 2001, there were many people who were affected by the attack on the World Trade Center 20 years ago. And there were many people who were in panic about what to do. They were terrified, horrified of the events of that day. But history tells us that there was one man who was actually prepared for this tragic event. His name was Rick Rescorla. He was born in Britain in Cornwall, and he later became an American citizen. Now, he was worried about the safety of New York City's trade center, the World Trade Towers, 
since it was attacked in 1993. Maybe some of you remember uh, that in 1993 was actually when they first tried to attack the World Trade Center. There was some bombs that they tried to detonate in the basement of the world, one of the World Trade Center buildings. And uh, somehow that, that didn't go as the terrorists had planned, thank God. Uh, it kind of flopped, but there was some panic, there was some damage, there was uh, a lot of terrible things that happened. So since that it happened in 1993, Rick Wascorla, he believed that it was going to happen again. He was upset that the building evacuation on, on during the first terrorist attack in 1993, he was upset that that evacuation went so poorly. And he vowed that such a muddled exodus would never happen again. Among the first to understand that a new kind of terrorism was threatening America and many global governments. And Rick Rescorla was working as a security guard at the time, but he later on became, in 1997, he became the director of security for Dean Witter and Morgan Stanley. And he was so concerned about this that he went to, uh, to the bosses and he asked them, Could you pl- can we move our offices out of the World Trade Center and buy real estate or rent somewhere else? But because of the contract that they had, they won- won- were unable to do that. So what he did, uh, since they were not going to move, he began to create a an evacuation plan. He began to create these drills and training for everybody who worked for Morgan Stanley Dean Witter at the World Trade Center that they would practice regularly. So that if anything ever happened again during a terrorist attack, that at least the people who working for Morgan Stanley Dean Witter, that they would be prepared and they would be able to get out. So when it happened in September 11, he and his colleagues, they were ready. So when the Port Authority came over the PA system, when the first, hel- uh, the first plane hit the North Tower, they told the people in the South Tower, be calm and stay in your seats. And Rick Rescorla he was shocked. He said, no way. He grabbed a bullhorn and he started to the evacuation plan that he had been developing with the people there at Morgan Stanley Dean Witter. And he, he slowly started evacuating all the workers out of the South Tower. So he helped them to, uh, to get out and he actually saved about 2,700 lives that day. Because of Rick Riscorla's foresight and belief that he knew what was right, he knew what was going to happen, he knew it was important to be prepared, he was able to train these people and to get them out of the building before the second plane hit the South Tower. And almost every single worker for Morgan Stanley Dean Witter got out and was saved, with the exception of about 15 people. He was able to get them safely out of the building before it collapsed. And some people might have called Rick obsessed. They might have called him a fanatic. They might have called him even a little crazy or even paranoid. 
to create this plan and to be so obsessed with this, uh, this, this mission, if you will, to be able to get people out of the building. But it turns out that because of this obsession, this passion, this mission that he had, over 2,700 people were saved. Isn't that a wonderful story? Isn't that, isn't that beautiful? I mean, if nothing ever happened, you know, they, they might just go ahead and say, this guy is just a little obsessed, you know, maybe he's a little bit crazy. But when the, when the planes hit, he became a hero. Isn't that right? And you see, God is looking for people like Rick Riscorla. God is looking for people who are also uh, obsessed, if you will. God is looking for people who have a very important agenda about saving the lives of other people. And today, our, our message is going to look at the importance of knowing what God's mission is. And also, what it is like when God's people don't know or don't follow God's mission for their lives. And so, in our text for today, I want to look at this passage in Proverbs 29, 18. And it says here that where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. Now, how many of you have the old King James Version? I know, brother, you do. And if you have the old King James Version, it, will, it doesn't say revelation, it says vision. Um, and so, it actually says where there is no vision, the people perish, is another translation. The word for revelation or vision there in the original Hebrew language is the word kazon. And it means a divine vision, especially a vision from God respecting future events like a prophetic vision. The idea is that it comes from God, not the prophet or anybody else. So it's not saying, well, we just need to have any kind of mission. It's not saying that, you know, we need to to discover what our mission is. It's saying whatever it is, it needs to come from God. And if we don't have a word, if we don't have direction, if we don't have guidance from God then there is destruction, there is perishing, there is people running wild with great intentions, but never accomplishing what God has for them. Now, don't get me wrong, we can have goals and, and, you know, agendas in life that are not necessarily divine, but they're still good. You know, very recently I've started developing a goal for myself. As I've noticed, since we've had children and I'm starting to, you know, um, get towards middle age and lose my hair and, 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 and gray hair is starting to pop up on my face, I've noticed, too, it's much more difficult to stay slim, you know. I don't know why. But this especially happened with the adoption of our two boys. So now I'm starting to, you know, like I have these goals where I want to get back in shape, you know, like I used to be. And uh, I'm, I'm actually starting to pay attention to the scale now because they seem to be broken whenever I step on them. I don't know. But you understand, we have these certain kind of goals. Uh, some families have goals in life. If any of you have ever heard of the man who developed the seven habits of highly uh, effective people 
um, his name has, I just remembered it this morning. Um, oh, Stephen Covey, seven goals for highly effective people. He was a Christian man, by the way. He was an advisor to presidents, but he would get together with his family from time to time, and they would talk about the goals that they have in their family. They would talk about the, the, the things that their family wanted to accomplish. Now, I've, I've never gone that far before, but why not? You know, If we don't know where we're going, how can we get there? Knowing God's agenda in even any given situation and following it will lead to great blessing and keep us from many pitfalls in our lives. If God's people do not have direction from him, then we are well-meaning people going in different directions. We have our own agendas and we are wandering aimlessly. And so the text for today says that where there is no vision, where there is no revelation, the people perish or they cast off restraint. And so when there is no vision, then the Bible says that there's some kind of of lostness, if you will. It says some versions say run wild. Now the Hebrew word there is para. And it means to loose or to let go, as in to let the reins loose to anyone to let go unbridled. How many of you have ever been on a horse before, know how to ride a horse? Have you ever been on a horse that is out of control? Have you ever been on a horse that is that's not well trained? Now, I've been on a horse many times before, and that's a frightening thing. I remember once when I was doing a summer camp in uh, Wawoka Woods in Oklahoma, um, and they, they taught me how to do neck reining there. I, I, I loved it. I wish I could have went out riding horses every day. But I remember uh, I, I went out riding with some of the camp leaders, and uh, my, of course I was following uh, them, and we were going on a path, and we found ourselves in an open field. And so they started their, got their horses to run. And my horse started to run as well, too. I'd never been on a running horse before. That was exciting and frightening at the same time because it's a big, powerful beast, you know. And I've heard all these stories of people having accidents on horses and stuff. You know, my, my mother had one of her best friends. had a, a, She only had a few discs left in her back because she had a horse accident. You know, So all these things are going through my mind. But it was amazing, this big, powerful beast. So, but for momentarily, it was out of my control. I didn't know what to do, you know. And thankfully, those in front of me, they knew what to do. They were able to take the reins while the horses were going fast and slow them down. So my horse followed uh, in line, you know. It followed step with the other horses and slowed down. Um, and I, I also have, a, uh, my wife also tells me about the experience she had when she was in college years ago, she went out horseback riding with some others. So they went out to the stable. They all got ready. They all got on their horses. And so they went out. But you see, Simako's quite timid, you know, and she's quite shy when it comes to animals, okay? So she got on the horse. Everybody was getting on the trail, but the horse didn't want to go horseback riding that day. And so the horse turned around and he went back to the stable. And so they, they told Simako, you have to take the reins, you know, do, do what we told you to do, you know, this is how you, 
this is how you get the horse to slow down or speed up, and this is how you go left. But you, you have to let the horse know who's in control. And she said, I, I just couldn't get that horse under control. So she got, they got her back out on the trail, and the horse went back to the stable again because he knows who's in control, not the rider. He's in control. So you see, with the, it gives this illustration of letting go of the reins and this wandering or this uncertainty about direction, about who's in charge, about where we're going. And you know, I have to say, church, that using this anal- analogy, it's not the, the pastor who's taking the reins. It's not the church who takes the reins. It's God who takes the reins. It's God who's in control. It's God who gives us our direction in which way we are supposed to go. So we see that it can be disastrous when God's people are not sure of what God's vision or mission for them is. It's it's like, what is the purpose of us being together? What is the purpose of us uh, being a church if we don't have that that? calling from God, if we don't understand what, where, what that is and where Jesus is trying to take us. This is so very important for God's people. So we know why it is important to have God's prophetic vision guiding us. But what is God's mission for his church? Well, we can look at many places in the Bible and we can ask and people have many um, things that they want to say about what God's mission is. But let's just look at what the scriptures say. Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. And then I'd also like to look at a quotation here that we should all know very well by now. What is God's mission for us as Seventh-day Adventists in the last days? And it is basically the same thing that God gave to his people 2,000 years ago. Jesus says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I'm going to go ahead and read that in full here. And it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Who has the reins? Jesus has them. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. We can look at Revelation chapter 14. We can look at Ephesians chapter 4, Acts chapter 1, and God tells us very clearly what his mission is. But you see, he didn't just send anybody out to do this. Not anybody can do this. Do you understand? You cannot just choose somebody off of the street and say, this is what Jesus wants people to do and go do it. No, only God's people can do this. Only God's people can accomplish this mission because only God's people have had an experience with Jesus Christ. Only God's disciples can actually do this because they know what it, has, what it is to be with Christ. They know what it is to experience God's love and, and his forgiveness. They know what it is to experience transformation. They know what it is. So they are the ones who God is sending out. Not anybody can do this, but only God's people can do this. This is is what it means 
to, uh, to be a missionary for Christ. I also appreciate this text very much, this passage, if you will, from Acts of the Apostles, page 9, where she gives us very clear definition. She says, The church is God's appointed agency for the salvation of man. It was organized for service, and its mission is to carry the gospel to the world. Amen. Can it be any clearer than that? She talks about the importance of having this desire, this passion for the salvation of men. It was organized for service. That's not just church service, but service to others and to carry the gospel to the world. Today, I would like to end with this a story of a lady named Noor Inayat Khan. Noor was actually a secret agent in World War II. She was a secret agent for the British. She is actually of Indian and American descent. Her father was from India and her mother was from America. And she was actually raised in France. And so she grew up Uh, you know, in French culture. She considered that her home. She was fluent in French and English. Um, And when the Germans invaded France, uh, then, of course, many French people fled and went to Britain. And so she fled. She was working as a... uh, She wrote children's uh, uh, bedtime stories in France, and uh, she was a publisher. She worked in communication. And then when the Germans came, she fled to Britain, and she became a radio operator in Britain. And because of her skill with operating a radio and her fluency both in French and English, she caught the attention of a special department of secret services for Britain that was for women. And the leader of this department was a lady by the name of Atkins. She was the one who would recruit people into this special operations executive is what it was called, the SOE. And they would recruit women uh, in Britain and they would send them behind enemy lines into France to uh, spy on the Germans, what their movements were, what was going on, how to help the the, uh, allied forces there in France to get the Germans out. And so she was recruited by this secret service and she was being trained to go over uh, as a secret agent back into France. And so during her training, they were teaching her how to use a gun to kill if necessary, to defend herself. They were teaching her how to send communications. Uh, They were teaching her how to be a covert agent. And during her training... Uh, Miss Atkins, the leader of this organization, this uh, spy organization for women, she was worried about something. She was uncertain uh, of Khan's ability and determination. She said, what worried at this article I read in uh, National Geographic said, what worried Miss Atkins was not whether Inayat would shoot to kill, but whether she was fully committed to a mission that could be fatal for her if caught. She was worried about her full commitment to the mission. She was worried about how much she was willing to sacrifice in the face of danger. Would she break when the trial and tribulation came or not? 
So eventually, Inayat got on a plane, and she went over to France, and she did become a secret agent for the British, helping the French. And she's, she is recorded as saying, this is Khan, the lady who went to be a secret agent. She said in why she did this, I wanted to do something more active in the prosecution of the war. Something which would demand more sacrifice. That's why she went over. I want to sac- I'm willing to sacrifice for my nation and for my people and for the accomplishment of the mission. And actually, as it turns out, uh, Khan actually was later on apprehended by the Germans. And she was tortured. She was put into a concentration camp where later she was shot to death with three other female Secret Service workers. And she never broke. She was, she was faithful. She didn't give out information she wasn't supposed to. And she wound up giving her life, paying the highest sacrifice for her country and for her mission. That's how determined, that's how uh, committed she was to this mission. And the question for us today is how committed are we to the mission of Christ? How committed are we to the purposes of God in our own hearts, in our families, in our community, and wherever we are? You see, because God has certainly called us, he has certainly given us this divine commission to serve. He's given us this commission to be concerned with the salvation of others, to carry the gospel to the world. But the challenge for us today is, and I want to end with this question, how committed, how much does the mission of God, the agenda of God, affect your life and your family? Where is it on the agenda, on the list of agenda of things in your life? This is a very important question for all of us. Have we dedicated our families and our marriages, our finances, our time to the mission and the purpose of God? Because it's very telling as time continues on and will to the end of time. This is a very important question for all of us. This lady gave her life for what I would consider a great noble cause. But what is the eternal value of it? We have the the opportunity and the privilege to be part, to be soldiers in a mission that has eternal value for the salvation of other people. Think of what the outcome is when people sacrifice everything for Jesus. Think about what it, what it means when we help lead other people, whether many or just one, into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ and to the truth that God has called them to. And God is challenging all of us today to dedicate our families, our marriages, and everything that we are to the vision of Christ. And that is my prayer for our church today. May God bless you, and happy Sabbath. God in heaven, thank you today for your word, and thank you for this uh, great vision that you have given us in the Bible. And I just want to pray, God, May we be even more passionate than these heroes like Miss Khan or also like uh, this man who saved those people on 9-11.
I want to pray, God, for each and every one of us to have a passion, God, for lost souls, a passion for proclaiming this truth, and a passion for living it out in our everyday lives. God, please dismiss us today. I ask for your blessing and to keep each one safe as as we depart and as we fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen.